You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Across the Romaverse here from Kiesa Ditalti. This is Steve back uh, just a day later after Sean and I reviewed Roma's victory over Bologna this past week. And I'm back for a special preview episode to look ahead to Thursday's match when Roma hosts Torino at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome, not the Olimpico in Turin, since they share the stadium name. Um, I have with me Rob Gilman, who is a big Torino fan. He's located in England, uh, not something you see every day from an Englishman being a Torino fan, but we have Rob along with us, which is to our benefit. So we get an English-speaking Torino fan. So Rob, how are you doing today? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Thanks, thanks, uh, thanks for what having me on. So Rob, how did you become a, a Torino fan? You're such a big fan. You've even published a book on Amazon. So how, how did that all start? Um, so I was always a, a big fan of Italian football when I was younger. In, um, in England, they used to have uh, sort of on sort of free TV, there'd be an Italian football match every week. Um, so I was always a big fan of Italian football. The first time I ever went abroad was to Italy. Um, I went to Milan, uh, went to the San Siro. And when I was there, I was like, oh, I, I need to find myself an Italian football team to support. And then just as fate would have it, uh, none of the teams that I watched on that weekend uh, it was like it was a Sunday match and then a Wednesday midweek game. Um, neither of the games that I watched involved Torino, um, but I sort of coincidentally read about Torino in a magazine that I'd, I'd taken on holiday with me. Heard about the story about Grande Torino, um, the sort of how uh, successful they were in the sort of nineteen forties, and obviously the, the tragic end at Superga. Uh, and I just sort of fell in, in love with the story, and just I just couldn't wait to learn more about the team. The, the funny thing is, as well, one of one of the games that I saw whilst I was in Milan was uh, a Roma match. It was the the famous Inter Roma match where where Totti scored his chip. So I've always had a, a soft spot for Roma ever since then, as well. Oh, that's great. And uh, I actually I mentioned to Rob before he came in the air. I was in Turin about five six years ago visiting some uh, distant cousins. Turin is a great city. If you ever have a chance to go to Italy, it is certainly underrated. Uh, I, I recommend it over Milan and some of those other cities. It was a great yeah. experience. Um, and I got to actually, they have a sort of memorial on one of the hillsides outside of the city for Superga, and I got to go there, and it's, it's a, a moving um, thing, especially when you consider how good Torino was back then. So unfortunately for Rob and Torino fans, uh, Torino has fallen on some rough times of late. Um, Torino is currently sitting uh, level on six points in 18th place with Genoa. Two of uh, Italy's more historic clubs are uh, really struggling. So 
Rob, what's been the, the biggest issue? I mean, I, I know we had mentioned in our written Q&A that'll be coming out in the site soon that there have been 19 drop points from winning positions for Torino. So what's, what's the issue with holding the lead so far? I, th- I think a, a lot of it is is a sort of change in sort of style of, of, of tactic going from sort of Mazzari from, from sort of the majority of last season uh, to sort of Giampaolo, who sort of wants to play the ball on the floor a little bit more. Um, I think the team has struggled to get uh, to grips with that and don't really have the players to sort of uh, cope with that system and style of play. Um, and I also think a lot of it's psychological. I think after the first sort of um, dropped sort of points that they got in the beginning of the season, they, they sort of forgot how to hold on to a lead, uh, even uh, in in our most recent game on uh, on Saturday. We scored two goals within a minute against Udinese to come back from 2-0 down. And then within 30 seconds, we can see it again. It's, it, it seems to be a, a more of a psychological problem than um, than sort of the actual ability of the players because the performances haven't been, I mean, they've not been great. Obviously, where we are in the table doesn't really, doesn't lie, but the performances probably deserve a few more points possibly than, than what we've got so far. Yeah, and, and, and as Roma fans, we can relate to that, not to the extent that Torino struggled this year with holding leads, but just that mental aspect of the match. And some, it seems to be that Fonseca starting to turn that around with Roma a bit. But yeah, the mental fragility can be so killer for a team, no matter how much talent is on the field. And we've, we've seen that. So you mentioned the transition from Mazzotti's Torino, uh, which a couple of years ago was one of the top defenses in Italy um, with Nkulu and um, Itso and you can remind me who the third member was that year, two years ago, but they were one of the best defenses in the league. Who was that third member? It was, it was Moretti. Uh, oh, and, his, right. and his retirement has is, is probably been, I mean, it, his, I mean, obviously he was 35, 36, I think, at the time, but he was still playing to a high level, um, an underrated sort of left-sided centre-back. Um, and to me, since he retired, we just don't look the same team. I don't think, I don't think it can be fully put down to his retirement, but uh, I think there's a number of reasons. Obviously, the players that you mentioned there, um, and Kulu, sort of at the at the beginning of of last season, wanted to leave the club. Uh, sort of well publicised. I think there was a little bit of interest from Roma, possibly. Mm-hmm. I believe there was a, a falling out between the agent and and the club president, uh, Bernacolo, where they'd said he could go, and I think there was some sort of confusion there. He's not been the same player since. Um, it's so again. This season or and, and last season, just not the same player that he was um, when he sort of when he first signed for the club. And, and probably the major issue is probably Salvatore Siligu's form. Um, I think for for a long time was probably the best goalkeeper or the best Italian goalkeeper in the league. Um, he's he can barely save a shot now. If you have a shot on target, it, it will probably go in. Um, so again, I think there's been rumours that he wants to leave the club as well. So it's just sort of a combination of, of issues. You've got a lot of players who probably don't want to be there, found themselves there, and then they're, they're in poor form where I don't think anybody's actually going to want them anymore. Yeah, it's true. Um, I know Ito and, and Kulu have both been linked with Roma through the past couple summers. Um, and yeah, their form has really dropped off. Sirigu, you mentioned, has been the longtime Italy number two, first behind Buffon, and then Donnarumma, the poor guy, has been stuck behind a legend and then a p- potentially a legend in the making. So he's kind of that... Uh, you know, lost member of the Italian national team because goalies have such a tight window to find playing time. But um, yeah, it's been tough for them. I mean, they've given up 27 goals already, I see here on the table, which is the most in the league. And when you compare their offensive output, uh, they've actually scored quite a bit. They have 19 goals for, which is better than the majority of the teams above them until you hit ninth place Udinese. They even have more than 
eighth place Lazio and seventh place Verona. So outside of the bigger clubs in Italy, you know, Torino scoring with the best of them. It's just a matter of holding, holding the lead, like you mentioned. So uh, you mentioned the, the transition from Mazzotti's Torino, which was much more defensive to Giampaolo's tactics, which he's known as more of an offensive coach. You know, he was one of the Peninsula's brightest young coaches just a couple of years ago, maybe not so young, but up and coming coaches. Um, and then things went really sour for him at Milan real quick. Uh, and then Torino took a chance on him this year. So what's the biggest change in style? And then you can get into what has been the biggest obstacle for Giampaolo to implement his style so far? I, th- I think the, the strange thing is that actually Giampaolo seems to have changed his style um, in, the, in the last couple of weeks. Anyway, he's, he, he, when he came to Torino, uh, his sort of, uh, mantra was sort of a, a, four, uh, a four three one. Um, and I'm not sure whether it was the failure of Torino signing a Traquatista in a January transfer window, uh, in a, sorry, in a summer transfer window, um, that we sort of, it sort of then pushed uh, Sasha Lukic into that position and, and he excelled. Then he missed a couple of games with, with um, COVID-19. So we sort of now reverted back to, to three defenders, um, which which hasn't really worked, even though that's to play, that's a system that the, the squad has played for the sort of majority of the last sort of three seasons. Um, so you do have a lot of players who are, are suited to that system. Um, but the the strange thing is that they just don't, they, they're not playing uh, or they're not using either, either system. They're not looking the great in. And, and I think Giampolo changing that sort of um, system is possibly his uh, acknowledgement that that his methods might not be working or might not be suited to the squad. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about John Paulo, we're getting close to Christmas. There's always the famous expression, you know, the manager might not eat upon its own um, if they get fired before Christmas. It's starting to look like he should get to Christmas with just a few matches left. Um, do you think the club will have the patience to let him see out the next few weeks, the next few months, maybe the season? And what does he need? Uh, to make it work if he's going to, you know, keep them out of that relegation zone and, and finish out the season in a more positive way. I mean, the, the strange thing is here is that obviously Urbano Cairo, the, the Torino president, is, has not really had or a history of having much faith with managers, um, especially historically. But I think more recently he has given uh, managers the opportunity. The weird one is that Sinisa Mihailovic got sacked from uh, Torino whilst we were eighth in the table. Um, obviously, now we we would do anything to be eighth in the table. Um, Matsari was sacked. Uh, I mean, he was um, sort of February last year, I think it was, and he was. It was untenable because obviously we'd gone from the seven 0 defeat at home to Atalanta, a four 0 defeat at Lecce. I don't think um, the fans are against Giampaolo as much as they were Matsari. I think, if anything, they're against the board and they're against the president. Um, so. I think Champagne might survive. He probably does need a result. That is the, that is a worrying thing, obviously. With with Roma on Thursday, uh, then a big game against the... I don't see a lot of points there before Christmas. And if we weren't to win any of those games, I think it would be very difficult um, for Jim Palace to stay on in that role because something obviously isn't working. Um, but I, I, I would... I would say that he probably has got until the until Christmas, and then if if we I mean if we were to lose all three of these games, I, I, 
I might be uh, I might be eating my words, but I think he, I think he might just hold on till after Christmas and we'll see how we do in the new year. Yeah, um, transfer wise again, I, I don't think he's I don't think he's been given the great the greatest hand. I don't think there were a lot of players, a lot of turnaround turnover like Armando Itzo. Um, is a player who didn't really fit in a four-man defence. He, he he best suited it as a right centre-back kind of three in a three-man defence. Obviously, at the start of the season, we weren't playing a three-man defence, so we were sort of out in the cold. And you've got a player there who I think a lot of players, even though he doesn't fit in or didn't fit into Reno's sort of formation at that time, I think a lot of uh, teams would, would probably have taken him and, and maybe it's a failure to have not sold him and not reinforced with somebody who would fit into the, the system. Um, I think the sort of the one player who we really are missing out is a, a deep line playmaker. Uh, Thomas Rincon is not that man. Uh, he is like a, a sort of ball winning midfielder, tough tackler. Uh, he's he's okay technically, but but he's not the sort of player you want to be building your attacks with. And and I just think that our failure to sign somebody in that in that position has just totally went against us for for the start of the season. And and that's where I do have a bit of sympathy with Jampalo because the recruitment hasn't been good. Yeah. And one player you have to feel bad for, especially after what he went through last season and this season now, is the team's captain, Andrea Belotti. He is, you know, uh, in the running to start for the Italian national team at the Euros, quality player. Uh, just a couple of years ago, scored 20-plus goals to, to lead the, the, the league in goal scoring. What makes Belotti so good as a, as a player, as someone who watches him on a week-to-week basis? I think the, the thing I, I like most about Belotti is just his humility. He, he plays football as if he was a fan. Is it you would watching Andrea Bellotti play? You would not think that he hasn't grown up in the Torino Primavera system, hasn't like dreamed of playing for that club. He he literally leaves every ounce of sweat on his shirt at the end of the game. He'll run around. You you'll find him in the sort of left back position, the right back position, trying to win balls, um, and and that's why really what people that's why the fans love him so much. He's obviously even if I think even if he was playing like that and only scoring sort of ten, twelve goals a season people would love him. But the fact that he's doing that, and like he's mentioned, in the season a couple of years ago when he scored sort of 25-plus uh, 20, goals was sensational. And um, I think I think he, you underestimate how sort of um, technically how technically good he is, um, his sort of strength in the air. He's, he's surprisingly quick for a, for a big guy. Um, and you just have to watch how many times he gets fouled by the opposition. I think everybody knows that. I think that's probably part of Torino's problem. Teams have worked out that if you stop Bellotti, you stop Torino. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of a lot of teams will just uh, a lot of the points last season, especially towards the sort of uh, in the sort of end of last season as we escaped relegation, it was basically Bellotti. Bellotti kept us up, and, and and without him, there's no doubt we would have been relegated because psychologically after that after that onto the feet, the, the players were gone. Yeah, he's he's a quality player, and he's actually someone I've been uh, keeping an eye on that I wish Romo would make a move for eventually as Dzeko's sort of heir. I think he would fit perfectly in the Dzeko role for Roma at some point. Um, so two things. Where do you see his future? Because a couple of years ago after the 25-plus goals, I, I know that teams from – I remember Arsenal being linked, um, but Cairo said he wasn't selling from less than 100 million euros, which was even for a player coming off that season a bit unrealistic, so they held on to him. Um, where do you see his future? Do you think maybe they held on to him too long? And why do you think it doesn't always translate to the national team for him in terms think, of goal scoring? I think um, for for his sort of for his future, um, I think the the one hundred million pound release clause I think was a, a smart tactic by by Cairo, a rare smart tactic because 
Uh, he knew that nobody was going to pay it. It sort of but, but gave that dangled that carrot for Bellotti to say, well, if somebody wants you, they'll, they'll pay the money. Mm-hmm. It, realistically, no team were gonna, was going to pay that. The worry for Torino is that his contract expires in 2022. So he's basically ended this season. He's only got a year left on his contract. Um, I would be very surprised if he signed a new contract. And if he does sign a new contract, it's going to have a much reduced release clause, which is probably going to be a bit more attainable to clubs. Um, I, I really hope that if he doesn't sign a new contract, we probably just try and sell him for what we can um, in the summer, because otherwise we're going to lose him on a free. Um, I, I've the I always probably picture him, and, and uh, I believe he was an AC Milan fan as a as a child who uh, grew up idolising Shevchenko. That's probably the move I could see for him. Uh, Ibrahimovic might be a phenomenon, but he's, he's not getting any younger. I think he could go into that team. And I think he'd do really well, but. Again, the the sort of Torino fan and using my sort of Torino uh, supporters perspective, my dream would be for him to stay at Torino for the rest of his career. But I think that would be doing a disservice to his ability and his talent as a player because he he deserves to play in European football and not in a a relegation battle with Torino, which is what he's finding himself in. Um, With regards to the national side, it's a weird one because every time I, time I, I see him play for Italy. He, he does seem to do well. He Maybe not scoring the, the chances and maybe misses a few more chances than he would. Um, but it's strange with uh, Immobile as well. Obviously, he's scoring mm-hmm. goals at Lazio. Can't seem to replicate for that national for the national team. I think Immobile is probably a better natural finisher than Bolotti. Bolotti is probably a bit more used to Torino having to do everything for himself because yeah. he just have no creativity. Um, so I think maybe for Bolotti, he finds it a bit strange that he doesn't have to run 60 yards to, to form a chance for himself and, and people will cross the ball for him, which is at head height and not sort of any, not sort of towards the opponent or anything like that. So I think I, I think that might be it. I think he would, um, I think that's possibly one thing which which could determine what happens to his future. If obviously he has a, he has a good, if he starts for Italy in the Euros and, and does well, I think a lot of teams, not just in Italy, would be interested in him. And realistically, if Torino are going to be wanting big money, it's not going to come from Italy. So it, it might have to be from England or, or, or Spain, possibly. Yeah, agreed. And uh, you make a great point because Immobile is the same case. And they both score goals for fun in, in Serie A, especially Immobile. And it doesn't seem to translate all the time. And I, I think you're right. I mean, Belotti has to work so hard for Torino that it's probably a bit of you know, um, weird for him to have so much talent around him on the national side, especially with the way Italy's, you know, trajectory is going now. The strangest thing is, is that Torino had them at the same time yeah. for about six months when, when Immobile came back. Um, I think he'd be, he was on loan from Dortmund. He'd been at Sevilla, not really worked out. Um, and obviously Immobile came back and, and you had the two of them together. And Belotti sort of, sort of how he announced himself, but he, he started his Torino career, career really, really slowly. He'd not scored for about eight or nine games. And as soon as uh, Immobile got, got there, sort of took the attention off uh, Bellotti, uh, off Bellotti and he, he just exploded. I think he scored two goals on uh, Immobile's second debut and, and it's never really stopped since then. Yeah, that's a great point. I forgot their, their times there even overlapped at all. It's amazing when you think about it, two of the, the best Italian strikers yeah. of their generation are playing, we're on the same team at the same time. Um, very I, think, I, think they're, I think they're good friends as well. So uh, it's, a, it's a shame the sort of... Um, that Mancini's sort of setup at Italy is never going to see them play together because I, I think they could 
I think they'd do really well in in a strike partnership. But I just don't think it would it would ever work out in the four three three. Yeah, I don't always agree. I don't want to get too much into the national, but I don't always agree with them playing that three man front line because I don't feel like the wings are our biggest strength. I feel like it's more yeah. the midfield, and then potentially could turn those strikers into something more dangerous. But yeah, Mancini seems to be set in his ways with his uh, tactics these days. Four three three. Um, so we talked about Belotti being you know the key man for for Torino, and then the struggles in the back. But outside of those players we mentioned before, any players that have stood out to you this year as being positives in this so far dower season or anybody who's been a big disappointment so far? Uh, weirdly, like one of our biggest um, positives this season is the uh, Brazilian centre-back Bremer, um, who sort of came into, his, came into the team last season and started doing really, really well. He's actually been dropped in recent weeks uh, as part of it. Is part of this change to a three-man back uh, back line with uh, Ricardo Rodriguez being favoured as the left-sided centre-back. He's done really well, um, and and he attracted a lot of interest from uh, Premier League clubs in England. Um, so it's it's a bit strange that he's sort of found himself out of the team. Um, elsewhere, the the right back uh, Wilfred Sango is is probably the biggest highlight of the season so far. He sort of he came out of nowhere. Really, he was he was a 19-year-old. Uh, I think he signed for Torino, maybe he might have even been 17, 18 from the Ivory Coast. I think when he signed, he was a centre-back and, and the Primavera coaches have sort of turned him into a, a, a right-back and obviously a right-wing-back when we play three at the back. Um, it's just a really strong, powerful powerful runner. Um, can defend as well and technically seems to have a bit about him. And, and I think his, his first start was against Roma at the end of um, last season in July. Um, and he, sc- he scored a... a a bit of a fluky goal. I think it was a goalkeeper mistake, but um, it, he's, he's sort of looks promising. Although his the game at the weekend was probably his poorest performance so far. Just absolutely um, nothing from him going forward. Um, and then the only other uh, positive aspects have been uh, Sasha Lukic, who's been around at the club for a long time, but always struggled to be a regular. Uh, again, he's a, a talented, technically um, sort of tall, elegant central midfielder. He's been sort of pushed into that Trey Quartista role. Um, and and he was flying at the start of the season. Scored, scored against Lazio. Scored against Genoa. Um, but obviously then went away with the national team. Caught COVID nineteen and and hasn't started since. He's, he's come off the bench and looked a little bit, looked a little bit uh, off the pace of things. So um, I think there's a chance he'll play tomorrow. As, as we'll probably try and uh, shore up the midfield. So he'd probably be the player I'd watch out for. Okay. So heading into the match tonight, you mentioned Thursday. Um, in terms of form, Torino, we mentioned is sitting 18th. They've uh, in their last five lost three, drawn two. Roma has won three, uh, drawn one, lost one in their last five. Roma's currently sixth on 21 points, uh, a point behind Sassuolo, uh, also two points behind Juve and Napoli, and just three behind Inter. So a lot could change in the table in just one match day when you consider how tight it is. Um, so looking ahead to Thursday's match, not really any key absences for Torino that I noticed on the projected formations from uh, Gazetta so far. Roma's big absence would be Brian Cristante, who was suspended for one match for quote-unquote blasphemy for uh, using some choice words and apparently not even directed at the official, just at himself after his own goal on Sunday. So funny stuff there. I don't know if he would have started anyway with Smalling coming back. And then uh, Max Kambula had trained individually today. He tweaked uh, something, I believe it was his hamstring the other day. No uh, major injury there, though, so he's probably just going to be rested. So no real major absences. The team should have most of their key players available. So, Rob, thinking about how Torino's played so far, what would you say the keys for Torino are heading into Thursday's match? I think I, I keep would just be to sort of keep things tight as, as long as we can. Even in the, in the derby against Juventus, 
we played well for, for 75 minutes. Um, we got an early goal. We defended well. Juventus were really poor in that first half. Um, and then we were sort of undone by just poor defending. I think the longer and longer we can keep it to sort of nil-nil, I was probably a little bit more optimistic about this game until I, I saw that Roma were 5-1 up at half-time against Bologna at the weekend. Uh, I think the last sort of truly good performance I've seen from Torino was the Roma game at the Olympico last season. Um, where we went there um, and won two 0 when obviously you don't really go to to Roma and expect to win, um, but I just think if we can keep things tight, we do have players who can hurt uh, Roma. If we just need to sort of defend, just show a little bit more pride in in, in defending. There's nothing wrong with uh, defending well, even if we if we come back with a nil nil, that is a good result and. It might not be the sort of stylistically thing that you want your team to to play, but this team needs to to show a little bit of bottle and a little bit of courage, because otherwise we are going to be bottom of the table, and that's not going to do any anybody's uh, confidence any any good. Yeah. So uh, on the flip side for Roma, you know, they, you had mentioned the five one, and what we've talked about in other episodes of of our show is that Roma has been so good on the counter; they've been deadly on the counter attack this year with players like Mkhitaryan and Jeco and. Pellegrini played his role a little higher up the pitch this past match and Pedro comes back. And um, I think the key for Roma is if they get a goal in the first 15, 20 minutes, like they did against Bologna and draw Torino out and Torino can't pack it in. Roma will be very dangerous on the counter uh, against a Torino defense. That's been very shaky. Um, But I think if, you know, Torino does hold pretty tight for a while, that's where Roma's had their biggest issues is breaking down tighter defenses they struggled against Udinese for a while. They struggled against Fiorentina for a while when those teams sat a little deeper. So I'm curious to see if, if Roma doesn't score early, if they have someone who can individually make something happen uh, to get, you know, break down Torino's back line and, and make a play and score a goal. Because that's where I think Roma is missing something right now because the, the counterattack, like I mentioned, has been absolutely deadly and Bologna paid for it big time on Sunday. Um, so, Rob, I don't know how closely you, you watched Roma yet this year, but are there any individual matchups you may be looking forward to in this one? I think again, just as, a, as an Englishman, it's it's that Bellotti Smalling uh, matchup. Obviously, Smalling um, played the majority of his career in England. Uh, I'm surprised at how well he's adapted to Italy, but it seems like he absolutely loves uh, Serie A. Looks like he loves Rome. Who wouldn't? Um, so I think I think in, again in that game that I referenced earlier, I think Bellotti, uh, I think might have even won a penalty. It might have been handball, but um, I think I think that will be a, a good matchup because it's. Blotti is not afraid of the sort of physical nature and obviously Smalling playing in England isn't going to be a state, uh, afraid of that either. Blotti is a bit of a, a stereotypical English number nine as well, sort of uh, good in the air, strong, powerful, likes to likes to sort of get himself around. Uh, so yeah, I think Blotti, Blotti Smalling, that is, if, if Torino would have any success in this game, it, it's going to be on based on what Blotti does. So um, I think if, if we can sort of... Um, have a bit of success against Smalling, we, we might have a chance again if Smalling comes back into the team, that is. Yeah, Smalling should be back. He played off the bench um, the past couple matches, trying to build his fitness back up after a minor knee injury. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think that's definitely one of the matchups to pay attention to. We know Belotti is the danger man for Torino, and it's Smalling's first match back probably as a starter in a while. Uh, and it, it'll present a tough matchup for not only Smalling, but the rest of the back line, probably Ibanez and possibly Mancini coming back. So a good matchup for a, a Roma defense, which has been pretty good um, against one of the better strikers in, in Italy. So that, that's a big one. Um, and then I, I think down the wings, you had mentioned, what was the right back's name again? Remind me. 
Singo, Wilfred Singo. Singo, yeah. So we'll see. He's a young right back, and Spinazzola on the left has been one of the most dangerous uh, left wing backs in the league this year. Probably only Taylor Hernandez has been, you know, up to par with Spinazzola. So I think that could be another interesting matchup to see how he defends Spinazzola because Spinazzola is a dangerous player. And uh, vice versa, you know, Singo pushing quickly down that right side and Spinazzola having to defend that. That could be an uh, an interesting matchup with a young uh, player with a lot of potential. So certainly another interesting one. I think I think part of the fact that it might um, sort of be something against Singo is the fact that I think Spinazzola played in the game that he made his debut. So we, mm. I think a lot of success he's had this season is that he's been that unknown quantity. They've not really known much about him because he's sort of like a young kid. Whereas Spinazzola will probably remember him because I think he gave him a bit of a tough night uh, back in Turin. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, if he's able to keep uh, Singo a bit quiet to, on, on Thursday. Yeah, it should be interesting. So, you know... I, I hate to see Torino struggling. Uh, same with Genoa. I like to see those kind of classic teams stay up because I think the league is better when you have like a Torino, Juve, uh, Turin derby. You have the Genoa Sampdoria derby della Laterna. The league is better for it. It makes for better TV for people like us who are abroad and don't necessarily, you have a connection to Torino, but even as a, a neutral like myself, I love those kind of matchups. So uh, just thinking about this matchup, I, I you know, a lot of pressure on Torino to win. I'm going to put you on the spot. I want you to, if you feel comfortable giving, a prediction, uh, score and scores. Try to be optimistic for your team's sake, I guess. Uh, I think I'll, I think Torino fans are probably not optimistic by uh, <laughs> by habit, but I'll, I'll go. I'll go for one one. Um, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go the other way around. Rather than us dropping a lead, I'll say that we we claw back a point in the in the dying minutes, uh, probably from a set piece or something. Uh, so I'll maybe go uh, Lianco to score from a corner. One one. Okay. Okay. And uh, Roma's riding high. I hate to do it to you, Rob. I'm going to go with a Roma 3-1 victory just based on form and, and defend the way the defense has looked so far for uh, Torino. I hope, uh, you know, Roma can carry on. I'm going to go, I'll go, uh, Mkhitaryan's been on fire. I'll go uh, Pellegrini and Dzeko and I'll go Bellotti for Torino. Hopefully, you know, for, for you guys, at least if Roma wins, it's a little closer, maybe 2-1 or something. That's, that's probably the smart, that's probably the smart goal. Even, the worst thing is Torino, uh, Bellotti mostly gets his 100th goal for Torino at the weekend. Ah. And it was, it was uh, a scrappy tap-in. Uh, and he could barely celebrate it because we were still losing. So, so maybe if he could score a, a sort of a much nicer goal for his 101st, that would be good. Yeah, that, that's something. I didn't realize he was up to 100 because Dzeko, I think, hit 111 to move into Roma's third all-time on, on the score list. So, you know, that shows Bellotti's production and, you know, for Roma fans to compare. He's been almost as good as Dzeko in that. Yeah. That, that time span. So Rob, I do hope I do have a soft spot for Torino. They're a team I, I, I don't mind see doing well. So I hope they do stay up. Uh, it was great talking to you. Uh, Rob also did a, a tight form Q and a with me. So we're going to post that on the site as well. But Rob, before you go, tell our listeners where they can find you, your work you've done in the past about the club and all those things. Yeah. So, um, so I used to have a blog, which um, I, I sort of started when it was a bit more difficult to get information in English um, about Torino. So that is still, still live, torinofcinglase.com. Uh, but I haven't, I've, this is the first season for about 10 years where I haven't started uh, regular updating it. Uh, so for sort of more recent updates, just uh, head over to my Twitter, which is tororob76. Um, and yeah, if you ever, if you want to read, uh, a, uh, it's probably a poorly written uh, ebook on uh, Amazon about the uh, sort of five-year span of Giampaolo Ventura's uh, reign at Torino. So he took over Torino when we were in Serie B uh, and took us all the way to the Europa League, where we uh, achieved a famous win over Athletic Bilbao in the San Mamés. 
Um, so yeah, just a, just interesting sort of a look at those five years and sort of the characters and and the stories that happened and, and quite a lot happened. And unfortunately, despite a brief sort of uh, sojourn into Europe with uh, Mazzari, which which ended prematurely, that was really been the highlight of the of the last decade, um, which is quite depressing from a from a Torino's perspective. Well, Rob, it was great having you on. Thanks again for coming on and giving us some, uh, you know, insight on Torino. We don't get that on an everyday basis from an English speaker. So we appreciate it. And uh, we hope you have you back another time. Yeah, no problem at all. I, I, I'm on a uh, anybody but Juventus campaign for the Scudetto this season. So if uh, if Roma can can do it and, and sort of upset the uh, the odds, then I'll be all, all, uh, all for that. Sounds good. Thanks, Rob.